0: This week on the Iowa Watch Connection.
1: If you look at for 10 pharmaceuticals, maybe you see five of them or just a couple of them, but when you brought her out to look at pharmaceuticals and pesticides and everything else that we can currently measure, then you see a lot more.
0: What we put down our sink drains has to go somewhere.
2: But another challenge was really just trying to get to the root of the problem because emerging contaminants in themselves are very broad.
0: And the issue extends beyond the borders of our state.
3: You know, I really think that the state has leadership role to play in calling communities to do the planning and the work they need to do.
0: Iowa's water quality, our topic this
4: week.
5: The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein.
0: We had scheduled to air a program on water quality this week some time ago. Little did we know that water would be very much on the minds of those in north-central, northeast, and eastern Iowa due to prolonged heavy rains and flooding. Some river levels this past week were the highest or second highest in recorded history. The issues of how to manage watersheds and improve our water quality have gained increasing notice in the past few years, and it not only affects us, but our neighbors, and not only affects us today, but in the future. Brittany Robb served as an Iowa Watch Society of Professional Journalists Fellow during the summer of 2016. She is a 2016 graduate of Simpson College, now attending graduate school at the University of Minnesota. And she has our story.
2: Pharmaceuticals and other compounds that affect the human endocrine system wash down our drains but end up back in our homes through drinking water sources. Every product we use and medication we take has the potential to contaminate drinking water. Dana Culpin, with the U.S. Geological Survey has been studying contaminants of emerging concern for almost 20 years.
1: We use it, we excrete it, we wash it down the drain. We, you know, if you're driving down the street, sometimes you unused coffee, you just pour it on the curb.
2: Residents in Des Moines, Davenport, Sioux City, and Iowa City are at a greater risk of exposure to contaminants because the drinking water comes from surface waters like rivers and streams. The state's most populated areas use surface water for drinking, which means just under half of all Iowans are at an increased chance of contamination in their drinking water. Wastewater goes through a treatment plant before getting to surface water, but not every compound gets removed completely.
1: Like as wastewater treatment plants have been shown, are very important sources for pharmaceuticals. Basically, particularly the bigger ones, are, you know, they're just continually pumping treated effluent in, into a stream.
2: Davenport's drinking water treatment plant is a privately owned and operated subsidiary of American Water Company and pulls from the Mississippi River. Rich Oswald, the plant superintendent, said his company's treatment process goes above regulatory standards for treatment.
6: At any point in time, our system could need about 36 million gallons of system demand on a hot, hot day, heavy heavy demand. We average around 14 to 15 million gallons a day. Um, but be able, to be able to put 14 to 15 million gallons out, we're probably really bringing in about 17. There's a little bit of water loss, but we do try to, we try to run that down as far as we can. Uh, Part of that we track as far as what we call non-revenue water. You want to make sure your non-revenue water is very low. Um, Iowa American, we run about 14% non-revenue water, which is way below um, the average standards.
2: Iowa American Water also operates a drinking water treatment plant in Clinton County, Iowa, where the company funded a grant to input pharmaceutical drop boxes to help prevent some level of water contamination, as well as combat prescription drug abuse.
6: When you were talking about pharmaceuticals and trace elements in the water, one thing we do as Iowa American Water is we do environmental grants, and one of the grants we funded was to put pharmaceutical drop boxes. Uh, we put them in some police departments uh, in, Clinton, in County. Clinton County. We put four of them in there for people to drop off their pharmaceuticals, and they were, they were disposed of properly. A lot of people flush them down the toilet or, or discard them, you know, not the right way. So we try to provide a way to get those pharmaceuticals disposed of properly.
2: While this type of program may help reduce the levels of pharmaceuticals and source water, Kolpin said cleaning up water is a much bigger task. He said the amount of research still can't keep up with the multitude of compounds that could be monitored.
1: When your scope is narrow, you might see, you know, if you look at for 10 pharmaceuticals, maybe you see five of them or just a couple of them. But when you broader out to look at pharmaceuticals and pesticides and everything else that we can currently measure, um, then you see a lot more. But there's always, no matter how broad your beam is, there's always Contaminants. you can never measure everything in the whole universe.
2: The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's Program to Monitor Unregulated Contaminants collects data from all public water systems serving over 10,000 people, as well as a selection of smaller systems across the country. Iowa had 58 systems participate in the last round of monitoring, which ran from 2013 to 2015. The program monitors the presence of contaminants such as pesticides and ingredients in flame retardants, but there are no regulations in place for removing the compounds from drinking water. Dana Colpin said he believes it will be a while until regulations are placed on emerging contaminants because there is a lack of understanding as to what potential harm could be to people who ingest them. Research and prevention are key to understanding and combating the risks of emerging contaminants. While the state focuses more on other problems with water quality, such as nitrates, emerging contaminants continue to contaminate drinking water of over 1.5 million people in the state.
0: And reporter Brittany Robb discussed her work recently with Lyle Muller, executive director and editor of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs
4: Journalism. You did a story that has this title, The Stuff We Flush Could Come Back to Haunt Us When We Drink Water. Tell us a little bit about what that means.
2: So going into this summer, I wanted to look at water quality in Iowa, which is such a broad topic, but I ended up getting a little bit of a tip from someone who works with Des Moines Water Works when she mentioned emerging contaminants. So as I took a deeper look at that, it's anything from an ingredient in Scotchgard to a pesticide to something basically that is not regulated by... Um, any environmental protection agency uh, restrictions.
4: This is a story that has a lot of technical terms. And walk us through a little bit about how you tried to make those technical terms something that we would understand.
2: One of the biggest cases of that was the term of granular activated carbon or activated carbon in general. And in the print story, there's a nice sidebar that was able to kind of take that dense information and take that really specific topic and break it down into a lower level. So that's pretty much how I spent all, all of the time when I would run into something like that is I would kind of create that in my own mind of what's the simplest way of saying what this is just to be able to fully understand where where it comes from. And a lot of that comes from talking to people who actually do this, talking to researchers and people with the EPA
4: And that brings up what I was going to ask next, and that is the types of roadblocks you might have run into. So were just the terms themselves a roadblock? How about some of the other things that may have gotten in the way?
2: Yeah, some of the terms were definitely a roadblock. Um, I was a journalism major with a minor in religion, and so I definitely do not have a whole background in science. Um, And so just kind of trying to get through some of that information, I was not not shy about calling someone from the DNR and saying, can you please explain this to me? Um, That was one of the best things is that people were willing to talk about it. Um, But another challenge was really just trying to get to the root of the problem because emerging contaminants in themselves are very broad. It can classify thousands of compounds. And so what's of concern to people in Iowa was a big one because I heard a lot about a... Um, drug that's used in India and Pakistan, but that doesn't really apply here. And so how do you localize this and how do you actually find out what's the biggest risk to our readers?
4: When you called up water plants and started talking with people there, were they glad to hear from you about this topic? Do they feel it's an underreported topic?
2: That was definitely something that I got from people was that um, they were glad someone actually wanted to know about this. It It's kind of a nice relief for them to not have to talk about nitrates for a while. Um, And yeah, talking about emerging contaminants is not something that they get to do um, with the general public because there are other things of concern. And it's not to undermine those other things because they are big issues, but... It wasn't something that gets reported a lot. And so that was a good goal of mine, just to be able to get to something that isn't talked about very much. And yeah, people at water treatment plants were like, oh yeah, I can talk about this all day.
4: What were the takeaways that you hoped readers would get from this story as you were writing it?
2: Probably the biggest takeaway is, I'm not saying you are in danger, but I'm saying that we don't know. Um, and not even I'm, all of these sources, scientists, researchers, water treatment specialists, they're saying we don't know enough about these contaminants. And regulations are still pretty far off because until we can understand what the possible risks are, we can't start regulating something. So it's not to scare people, but to make them more conscious of what could be in your water other than the big things that we hear about. I mean, lead poisoning is obviously very serious and a big thing but what if you have metformin in your water? We, we don't know what this whole new class of emerging contaminants could do.
4: Brittany, thanks for doing this story. We appreciated your work with Iowa Watch.
2: Yeah, thank you, Lyle.
4: Iowa Watch
0: Executive Director and Editor Lyle Muller speaking with reporter Brittany Robb. Coming up, what did the late September flooding do to our communities? And how do we improve our water quality generally? That's next... As the Iowa Watch Connection continues,
5: the Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa while also training journalism students to do this work at a high, ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org.
0: Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. State Senator Rob Hogue of Cedar Rapids also serves as co-chair of the Cedar River Watershed Coalition. This past week, as northeast Iowa rivers were slowly going back into their banks, Senator Hoag toured flooded areas. I asked him why that fact-finding trip was important.
3: Jeff, there was a there was an opportunity to do it this week, in part because in Cedar Rapids wasn't a lot for volunteers to do, and so I wanted to get out and see the rest of the watershed where some of the floodwaters had already passed. North Cedar neighborhood in Cedar Falls, uh, Clarksville, um, Shell Rock, Charles City, uh, some parts of rural. Floyd County, uh, you know, some pretty significant damage, uh, Vinton, Palo. Um, but here's what I want to know: is first of all, I want to see how how bad the damage was, and obviously nothing close to 2008, but real damage, from real people, and real communities. We need to address that. More importantly, I want to see what was working to help uh, reduce flood damage, and uh, obviously one of the things that really helped this week was flood levels were down uh, from where they were in 2008, and that's a big part of the story in Cedar Rapids. Um, so that helped. Buyouts of health, um better preparedness, uh, better information about flood levels. Um, some really good stories about that. Up in Waverly, they've uh, taken action with their deflatable dam and also the dry run. Uh, they've got a dry run creek project where they took out uh, some houses and, and widen the creek so it could accommodate more floodwaters. So so some real success stories, and we just need more of those to continue to, to fight to reduce flood damage in the future.
7: Now that takes us to the broader issue of water quality. We have heard a lot of it in the news. It's been debated at the state house. For someone who has not been following the issue and they keep hearing that water quality is one of the major initiatives that many legislators are looking at for 2017. Explain for those folks what we're talking about, what all the fuss is about all of a sudden about water quality.
3: Well, here's the problem, uh, Jeff, Uh, and I'll I'll try to do this in in a nutshell. Uh, We've got uh, over 700 impaired waterways in our state where the water quality doesn't meet with standards for uh, public use and recreation uh, drinking water. Uh, we've got problems, right? So we've got water quality problems and that extends all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. I was the second leading contributor to the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, so that's why this really is a national issue as well as a state and local issue. Um, and then you've got communities in the state and it's not just, uh, central Iowa and Des Moines where there is a struggle to provide, uh, safe drinking water. So, so that's what's at stake here. Uh, it, it, you need safe drinking water at a minimum. You've got to have more waters that are, that are fishable and swimmable and available for recreation. And we've got an obligation to our downstream neighbors. So that's what's at stake in this uh, debate. And, you know, it, it's not to say that our water is worse now than it's ever been before. Uh, that may be true in some places. It's not true in other places. But we know more about the problems and, and the consequences uh, that uh, dirty water has. And so we need to act on it. It is also a quality of life issue. And if we want people to want to stay in Iowa and live in Iowa uh, and the next generation to be here, we need to leave a legacy for them of clean water so that this is as attractive a place to live as possible.
7: And you sort of answered what was going to be my next question, which is, well, why is it a problem all of a sudden? Part of it is because we know more now, but how did it get to the point where we are the second leading contributor to a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico? How did we get from where we used to
3: be to where we are now? Is it just awareness? Yeah, no, I think it's more than awareness, Jeff. I mean, there, you know, I, I said some places are better than they were, other places aren't. Uh, but overall, if you look at uh, the trend line, um, the, uh, the amount of nutrients, so this would be nitrogen and phosphorus in our waters, is increasing. And, and Cedar Rapids actually has the longest uh, consecutive uh, record keeping, you know, maintained record database in the state. Uh, and, and it goes way back, and, and and our and our nitrogen and phosphorus levels are higher than they have been historically. Uh, some of that is changes in how agriculture is done. Some of it is land use change. Uh, some of it is, you know, I, I, I want I want to be clear. There are urban practices that contribute to this problem, and and uh, and so we've got to address this uh, head on and make sure everybody is contributing. I mean, we don't. You know, we don't have, um, rivers on fire the way they were in the, you know, the 1950s or 60s, right? So we've dealt with some of those problems, but on the, on the nutrient loading, it is at a high, uh, and, uh, and we need to address that. And so that's how we've gotten to this point. Um, and it's going to take some time, but we've got to turn the trend line, uh, and we've got to start making some tangible progress. Or the danger is, is that the federal government comes in and in defense of downstream neighbors says, okay, Iowa, we're going to we're going to come in and and, uh, run, uh, you know, make water quality decisions for you. I don't think anybody in the state wants that.
7: So what's the solution? Uh, Obviously, there are many ideas being bandied about. But what do you think is a tangible, at least first step that we can do sooner as opposed to later?
3: Well, I think the, I think the uh, problem is uh, solvable. Uh, first of all, we need, we need a really good monitoring network. Uh, we've been building that out. We've been making some progress on that. But we have to continue to do that, and we need a, a good statewide monitoring network because you got to know where the problems are. That's uh, number one. Number two, I think we need to have some uh, uh, goals and timetables. I don't think this is something we can just say, yeah, well, we're going to try these two things. And not measure them and not see if we're making progress. That's kicking the can down the road. I think we need, uh, goals and timetables, uh, so that we're clear about what we're trying to do. Uh, and then three, we've got to have cooperative watershed management structures, uh, ways of bringing people together on a watershed basis. And those lines don't follow city and county lines. Uh, those follow, you know, what nature has provided us. And so those are different lines, and we've made some progress on that with uh, the uh, Upper Cedar River uh, Watershed Management Authority and the Middle Cedar uh, Water Management Authority. We've got some uh, local, uh, you know, watershed management efforts, you know, on, on a smaller basis, like Indian Creek and Cedar Rapids and, and others. Um, and and then we've got to say everybody contributes to the solution. Agriculture contributes to the solution cities contribute to the solution um, through stormwater runoff our our, our uh, wastewater treatment facilities need to contribute uh, to the solution our septic tank owners and industries need to contribute to the solution we need to we need to come together have some timetables goals uh, watershed management planning and, and cooperation uh, allocate uh, tasks for these various segments segments of our, our society and our economy that I've just discussed, then we've got to get to work. Um, so that's the, that's the big picture. What I want to get to is the individual practices that work. Okay, so how is it that a landowner, whether you're in a, in a city or in a rural area, how is it that you contribute uh, to solving this problem? Well, number one, uh, if you can reduce your nitrogen phosphorus uh, at the source, that's good. Uh, number two, Holding the water, letting those nutrients settle out through wetlands or detention basins or urban areas, rain gardens, that helps. Uh, We need that. Um, You know, there are lots of solutions that work. Uh, Urban areas, you're seeing more permeable pavement to try to infiltrate that water. Um, The big wetland restoration projects like going on near La Porte City, Uh, led by Black Rock County Conservation. That work is really important. And by the way, all of these practices I've just described that help water quality, most of them, uh, if not all of them, help contribute to reducing peak flood events as well. So there are multiple benefits from this, but it requires this new understanding that, you know what, this isn't just an issue where you can kind of, you know, have it be a second tier issue. It's really got to come up to the top of the list. And if we work together, we can solve this solve these related problems.
0: State Senator Rob Hogue is a Cedar Rapids Democrat who serves as co-chair of the Cedar River Watershed Coalition. And that brings us to the end of this week's program. Before we go, we want to thank everyone who participated in our recent fall fundraiser near Iowa City and who participated in our Day of Freedom of Information Discussions in Des Moines this past Thursday, culminating in our fourth annual banquet. Your support of our efforts is vital and greatly appreciated. We're back again next week at this same time, and in the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again, for a list of stations that carry the program, and more. You can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week.